Our Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the time we've already had just to fellowship and to sing and to uh, just experience a few moments here in your house with your people. And Lord, I pray that um, as we just sang, that our hearts are already prepared and that you would speak to us through um, your word. We take this to be very serious, Father. We take this as a very important thing that we're able to open and study the word of God. And so give us wisdom, give us understanding, help me to deliver this as you would have me to do, and help us all to receive it that we might apply it to our lives. Father, strengthen our faith, and uh, convict our sin, and as always, save the lost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, as you turn there, um, I'll just confess that in our study of Romans this year, this chapter has given me the most uh, cause for struggle or wrestling around with it. Uh, it's been the most difficult um, in many ways to decide how to deliver it. There's so much here in Romans 11, and... Um, and so I thought, man, I could probably preach this in about five sermons, or why not just preach it in one sermon? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do one sermon in Romans 11, and we will not, we surely will not cover everything as much as I would like to, but I want to at least give you the main point of this cha chapter, and to see how it is important, and it really, Romans 11 concludes Paul's kind of theological salvation uh, teaching in this book. And when we come back next time, we'll begin chapter 12, and it's more practical application. And I'm excited to get into some of that with you in the coming weeks. But this chapter does complete kind of what we've been studying in, in 9 and 10, with the idea being, um, has God rejected his people? And is God still helping his people? And so the question I thought about for us this morning is, you know, when you sit here today, uh, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Not, not, not only to save your soul, which I hope you trusted him for that, but do you trust him just to get you through every day and just to give you the grace and the mercy and the help just to survive this difficult world? Do you trust God? And if you don't, or maybe your trust is wavering in any way, I hope you'll see in this text how God worked through Israel and still works through them and works through us and how God is completely trustworthy. I would say... He's the only one who is completely trustworthy. We can let each other down, can't we? Our best friend can let us down. Our, our family can let us down from time to time. There's one who's never let me down, and it's the God of Romans 11. So we're going to work through this just a few verses at a time. I want to give you four key words. We'll put those up there for you. Four key words in Romans 11 as we kind of break this chapter down. The first word is the word grace. The word grace, and we'll see in this, these first ten verses that the grace of God is revealed in his choosing of a remnant of people to, to save. And I gave you some definitions here for grace, and you may not need this. Most of you, I think, know what grace is, but grace is unmerited favor. It's God giving us what we do not deserve. Uh, Jerry Bridges said, grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. And, of course, Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are we saved through faith. We know what grace is, and we're thankful that God gives us not only 
common grace every day, but it gives us amazing grace by saving our souls. Well, let's look at it, and you won't find the word grace yet, but keep your eyes open for it as we read through some of these verses, and you'll see what I'm, what I'm getting at about God's grace. First, look at verse 1. If you found verse 1, say word. Listen to what it says. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Again, we've talked about things like this in the previous chapters, but the, the question is that he's asking here is, or he's been asked is, is God rejecting his people? Most of Israel had rejected Jesus. Even Jesus, when he came, they rejected him. And the question is, does that mean God's rejected his people? And he says there, clearly in Scripture, God forbid. And then he gives an example. I mean, who's a great example of an Israelite, someone from the tribe of, uh, of Benjamin, from the descendants of Jacob, who is a follower of Jesus Christ? Paul says, look at me. I, was a, I am a Jew. I am a, uh, an Israelite, and God has saved me. Look at verse 2. I think the first part of verse 2 is the theme of this whole chapter. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. If you ever think God's going to, to cast away his people, underline this verse. Remember this verse. If you think God's going to just throw you to the side, notice what he does here. It says he will not reject his people whom he foreknew. We talked about that word foreknowledge a lot over in chapter 8 of Romans and chapter 9 as well, but we know that that's not, that doesn't just mean that God knew them, knew about them. To foreknow means to an intimate knowing. He foreordained or foreloved them. God has not cast away the people whom he foreknew. And so it makes me think of this. If God has set his sights on you or on a people, he will not reject that people. If God has set his sights on a people, how many times have we read in the Old Testament the people of Israel, they would go against God? How many times? It's over and over, isn't it? If you read the Old Testament, constantly God's people, I mean, he would do miracles for them, and yet they would rebel against him. But every time after he would judge them, he would restore them. Every time. And it's a pattern not only for Israel, it's a pattern for us. Because aren't we the same way? God loves us, provides for us, and don't we turn our backs on him from time to time? Or we rebel against him from time to time in our sin, and yet he restores us back to him. If God has set his sights on you, he will never reject you. So he gives us this example in verses 3 and 4, and this example of Elijah. Look at verse 3. Um, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. You remember the story in 1 Kings where Elijah is going against the prophets of, of Baal? It's an amazing story. Uh, I think I preached it a long time ago maybe here. But, but the point of these verses, Paul calls back to that and says, Do you remember how Elijah was mad at the people of Israel? Elijah was like, God... I'm all by myself. I'm the only one serving, serving you. There's no one else. And that's how Elijah really felt. And as he says in verse 4, God reminded Elijah, Elijah, I've got 7,000 more servants here. You're not alone. And, and the point is, God has preserved a remnant of people. And that's the point of that 
that referencing back to 1 Kings 19, and that's the point of Romans 11, that God has preserved a remnant of people. So I want you to see this, and I think we can testify to this as well. God's past faithfulness is a pledge of his present faithfulness. Have you ever had a time in life where, like right now, whether it's sickness or a relationship issue or financial issue or whatever it might be in your life, and you, you remind yourself, you know what, God provided in the past, he will provide today as well. I mean, we should do that as Christians. We should think, can I make it through today? I, may not, I don't know if I can make it through this situation. Well, look, if he provided for me in the past, he will provide for me again. I believe that. I believe God is faithful in that way. And look at the next thing here. If God's, God's past faithfulness and his present faithfulness is also a pledge of his future faithfulness. Do we have to worry about tomorrow? I mean, we, do we worry about tomorrow? Yes. Do we have to? We shouldn't. We should know he's going to provide for his people. The Bible says that over and over again. In Romans 11, even though it's sometimes difficult to kind of grasp, that's really what it's saying, and specifically about his people Israel, that God will provide. Let's look at verse 5. And this here, he, he finally brings in our, our key word, which is grace. He says, even so then, at this present time, There is a remnant according to the election of grace. I love this word here in verse 5, a remnant. That's a beautiful biblical word. um, When I was first looking at that word uh, the other day, I was thinking about leftovers. Do you all like leftovers? I actually like leftovers. Uh, We go to a restaurant. If there's anything left over, we'll take it home, and it'll always get needed at our house. But I I like leftovers. but, But in general, most of the time, the, the meal when it's fresh and hot is better than leftovers most of the time. And, and so when I, uh, that's not really a great word for this because when we talk about the remnant of people that God has elected, he's saved, then that, that's not just like leftovers that you cast aside. To God, that is a special group of people that he is working through. And so as we talk about a remnant, the remnant of Israel here, we understand these are people God has, has chosen for a purpose. And I thought about, what are some other remnants in the Bible? Noah and his family were a remnant. God destroyed everything else, but that family were preserved for God's purposes. How about the story we just talked about in the Old Testament? Elijah and those 7,000 were a remnant of Israel to serve God when most of the others were not serving God. And what Paul says in Romans 11, 5 and 6 is that God, though it seems like all of Israel has rejected Christ, God still has a remnant. And he uses our key word here, grace. Look at verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. No matter what we might disagree on theologically, even as a church, One thing we should agree on is salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. We do not preach that you can be saved by any actions, any, you know, being baptized is wonderful, but it does not save you. Joining a church is wonderful, but it does not save you. Reading your Bible is wonderful, and God can use that to bring you to salvation, but in itself, the act of reading does not save you. Only by grace through faith are we saved. We preach that, and he reminds them here. He reminds them, hey, I know you think the Israelites should automatically be saved because of who they are, but it doesn't come by your ancestry, by your descendants. It comes by faith in Christ. 
We talked about that over and over again in this, in this study. So the very notion in these verses that God has a remnant of people he's working through, it, if you just think about that for a moment, you, you, you remember there's also people that are not living for Jesus. They're not trusting Jesus. And that's what verses 7 through 10 talk about. Look with me at verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. These people were blinded. And the, and the idea here, by the way, is Israel as a whole has failed to seek, failed to obtain what they were seeking for, and that God, if you read that there, God has blinded them. They have been, they've been hardened by, by God. And here he quotes Isaiah 26, look at verse 8. According as it is written, God hath, gi- hath given them the spirit of slumber. Some of you this morning look like you have a spirit of slumber. Just kidding. But God has given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. I like what someone said, that the spirit of slumber is an attitude of deadness towards spiritual things. Do you know people in your life who just have an attitude of deadness towards spiritual things? Like, God can be doing great things around them, and they're just asleep to it. They're sleeping on God, sleeping on what God can do. And it says here that God has given these these hardened ones this spirit of slumber that they would not see and hear the great things that God is doing. It's hard for us to understand sometimes. That's one of those things we can't really dive all into this morning, but the idea is that God... His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And he is sovereign over all. Well, let's keep going. Verse 9 and 10. And David saith, he again he quotes here Psalm 69. David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. And, and the idea here of, of these two verses from Psalm 69 is that these many people of Israel who thought they were right with God, or not right with God, and they had a a false security. They had a false security because they had been hardened, and they had a spirit of of slumber, of stupor, of not seeing the things of God. Let me make an application here. I think this applies to many people today who have a false security of their salvation even because of Maybe the fact that they go to church or something like that. Some other things. And they have a false hope that they're a Christian and they have not truly put their faith in Christ. That's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. Matthew 7, those people who thought they were going to heaven and Jesus said, I never knew you, depart from me. Like, it's a scary place to be, but many people have false security. And that's why we will continue to preach salvation by grace through faith. And that if you are saved, your life will change. You will live a certain way. You'll love God, you'll love people, you will desire the word and other things like that. So these first 10 verses, our key word is grace, and the idea is that God, and get this because we're going to go quickly in these next three points, but here's the key thing. There's a remnant of Israel, a part of them, a remnant of them chosen by grace. They will receive God's blessings and God will never fail them. And there's another group hardened by God who will not receive his blessings. Our key word number two is the word grafting. It's not a word we talk about very much, but I want you to listen, and I'm going to break this down very quickly, but I want to read it to you first. 
and ask God to speak to us through these verses. But beginning in verse 11, uh, follow along there with me in your Bible. It says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, I want you to listen closely in verses 17. I mean, I hope, you, I hope you've been listening closely the whole time, but focus in on verses 17 and following, and I want to describe this illustration to you. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I may be graft, grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail, severity but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Last verse here, verse 24, for if thou wert cut off, cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Y'all see why I said this is kind of a difficult passage? Uh, it can be kind of difficult to kind of um, take in all this at once. I want to break this down for you very simply. The, uh, the idea here is the picture of an, an olive tree, a tree, and the natural branches of that tree are Israel. And there are some branches, and, th and, and that's unbelieving Israel, which are cut off the tree and thrown away. In other words, they, they should be a part. They were part of God's people as far as being a, a descendant of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they've been cast away. But the natural branches are, are Israel. And Paul says, you Gentiles, which, by the way, that's us, you Gentiles are like these wild branches that God has brought in and grafted into the tree. And he gives some points there. He says, there's a reason why. And, and one reason is that we as Gentiles might partake of the blessings of God. The blessings that God in the Old Testament gave to Israel, he told Israel, he told Abraham, one day your descendants are going to be a blessing to all peoples. And it's the idea that God's big plan is coming to pass. It's coming to be that we are grafted into God through Christ that we might experience the blessings that God has promised. So he gives another point here. He says, not only is it, not only is it because, um, not only did those Jews reject Jesus, that Jesus, the gospel might be spread to Gentiles, but I like this. He says that God might make those other Israelites jealous. That they might see, wow, we're really missing out on the blessings of God. God's giving his blessings to these people, and we are missing out. Hopefully to make them want to say, we need to go back to God. 
And that leads me to my third key word this morning, and that word is guarantee. Look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so, have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Here's what I'm, when I I say guarantee, here's what I mean. God is promising through the words of Paul to us and to others that though much of Israel, though most Jews do not accept Jesus, and that's true today, by the way, as well as back then, one day there will come a time in the future, and God guarantees it here, when those of the natural branches, the unbelieving Jews, will be grafted back in. It's a, this is a promise that God will fulfill His word and will not reject His people. It's a guarantee. Do you like guarantees? I like guarantees. I bought a vehicle one time, and liked the vehicle a lot the salesman did his thing did the salesman thing and he was trying to he was trying to close the deal you know and he's like i tell you what those tires are pretty rough he's like i'll throw on some new tires you, you know get this thing done we'll get some new tires I'm like sounds good to me and so i signed the papers bought the vehicle called back a couple weeks later hey when are we gonna put these tires on I was like, well i don't know about that i don't know about getting those tires on there well, you said we'll get tires i thought it was a guarantee you know no tires I called the service department, I got the runaround. I called the service department, I got the runaround. Guess what? Did I get the tires? No. <laughs> it was not, it was, I thought it was a guarantee, but it wasn't. It wasn't a good guarantee. And that's, that, that stinks, doesn't it? When someone promises you something and doesn't come through. When God makes a promise, when God promised things from Genesis 12 all the way through, He will come through with His promise. And that applies for Israel, and I believe that applies for us. Every promise we can find in the Bible that is for us, God will bring it to pass for us in His timing. Does that mean He's going to give us everything in this life that we want? No. But will He give us everything we need? Yes. Does that mean some things that we might hope happens don't happen, but one day in heaven that glory is finally revealed? Yes. No matter what happens in this life, good or bad, no matter what we go through, good or bad, God's promises to take care of His people is a 100% guarantee. That's why I don't want to live this life without Christ, without a relationship with God. And in all of this, again, he, t- he calls it there in verse 25 a mystery. And as I think as Paul concludes these 11, I think the most 11, most, this is some of the best literature of all time, Romans 1 through 11, in my opinion. And as as he concludes it, listen to verses 32 through 36. It's like he's at a loss. It's like he's in wonder and awe 
of God. And in verse 30, excuse me, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him and that it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul writes all these things that, again, we've only touched the surface of. And then he says, who can know the mind of God? Who can be the counselor of God? Who can understand all his ways in the depths of his riches of wisdom and knowledge? And I think what Paul is thinking on here is the fact that Romans tells us that God not only saves people of Israel, but now, as Romans 3 says, all have sinned, both Jews and Gentiles, and all can be saved if they trust in Christ. That's what he's telling us here. And he's wrapping all this up, and again, it's like he's at a loss for words. And he just gives this, it's, it's, it's like a hymn or like a prayer where he just can't keep it in, but he has to say, oh, the depth of the riches and the knowledge of God. And that's why our fourth word, our final word this morning is the word glory. The glory of God. And he says here, I like what he said, by the way, in verse 35. What he means by that verse is that we can't, we can't approach God like, I'm doing this, God, so you must accept me. No, he is sovereign in all ways. He's sovereign in his will. That's how we must approach him. And, and the sovereign God, his mercy, his grace, his sovereignty is the source of all good things and the goal of all things. God has saved us who have been born again, and he has guided us, not that we would receive glory. Could we put that verse back up for me, that final verse, 36, please? But that who would get the glory? Him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. May we glorify him in our lives. Let's pray. As you bow, I want you just to think about these things, just to help you as you pray for a moment here. First, this morning, do you trust God? I mean, have you trusted Him to be your Savior? Have you put your faith and your hope and your life in Christ? Repenting of your sin and believing in Him with your heart, that God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says if you've done that, you will be saved. Do you trust God as your Savior and Lord? Another question is, do you trust God for that need you have in your life right now? Whatever that need might be, a health concern, a job concern, a relationship concern, a spiritual concern, whatever it might be, do you trust God right now to help you with that need or are you trying to do it all on your own? Take a moment right now and tell Him that you trust Him, that you will leave that situation in His hands. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, Lord. I, I admit that, that this is a very difficult chapter to, to go through. And 
but I hope, Father, that we'll see the main point, which is that you save a remnant of people and that you pour out your blessings on that group of people. And that any of us who've been born again, we are a part of that group that receives so many blessings from you. Not only earthly blessings, but more importantly, spiritual blessings, eternal blessings. Father, we trust you. We trust you for saving our, that you saved our souls. We trust you that you will preserve us. You will hold us. You will keep us. You will not ever reject us. You will not ever let us fall away because of your grace. Father, we trust you that you will guide us from day to day through our different life situations. We trust you. Give us grace to trust you more. Father, I pray for that person who's here this morning whose faith may be wavering or they're just struggling so bad with their faith or with something else like that in their lives. Father, I pray you would strengthen that faith. Let them see that when we are weak, you are strong. Father, let, let them see that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Father, we know this life is hard. Every day, Father, I'm hearing of difficult things affecting families and people near us. And don't let us keep walking, or don't let anyone keep walking through this life apart from you. Father, hold our hand, hold our hearts, hold us up as we walk through this life and help us to daily know and remember that all things are from you and to you and through you and that you deserve, Father, all glory for everything in our lives. Receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Thank you all so much for being here today. Did you enjoy being here? Hope you did. Hope you did. Okay. I know I told you I was preaching the whole chapter and you all like,